Welcome back, my loves. I'm excited to introduce you to Corey Hibben. Welcome. Thanks. I'm excited. Yeah. So you have the podcast, The Health Hustle, here in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. You were a coach, a physical trainer? Mm-hmm. Yep. Personal trainer for a few years. Awesome. And we're going to talk about how to lower your blood sugars through physical exercise. Very exciting for a lot of people that don't want to get off the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll share some of the easier ways, and then what are some of the more like higher level things you can get into? Sound good? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and then um, but share first your journey. I want to hear why you started the uh, health hustle. Yeah, it's uh, it was definitely a non traditional route to podcasting, I'd say. So outside of my work, I also do um, marketing and website design for people, and it really started as a place from a mentor at the time was just trying to help me find other avenues to basically find clients and to find leads and to find people to work with. And mm. um, coming from that background of being a trainer and working in healthcare, those were the people that I was also serving from a marketing standpoint. And podcasting of all the mediums felt like the most natural avenue for me, right? Because if you look at the, the realm of places to really create content and start attracting attention, it's written video and audio. And... Audio for me, from a podcasting standpoint, was really easy and natural for me because I'm probably one of the most curious people you'll ever meet in your life. Like, I love just diving into other people and what makes them tick and learning about their story and their history. Like, literally, I think it was yesterday, actually, I met a guy who, he basically works for a construction company and does, like, design construction, I think it was. Something I really honestly knew nothing about. I know nothing about real estate or construction or anything like that. And like, I spent probably an hour just asking him questions of like, how does that work? And what do you actually do? And what kind of houses do you work on? And like, how do you actually formulate that? And all that stuff, right? Nice. Um, And so to answer a long-winded answer to your question of like podcasting is like, that was the avenue to start having conversations with potential clients. And it's honestly grown into so much more than that it's grown into just like community and people finding out about it and like random people recognizing me from the show and it's like wow this is interesting like this is more than I ever anticipated anticipated it to be and um now I'm just like riding the wave of that of what that's gonna look like so I love it yeah I love podcasting Mm -hmm. I mean it is my happy place I um was doing video for a while and I just it it podcasting takes that element of a camera in your face and having to perform off the table to some degree. And it's just, you get deep into a conversation. And of course now we're videotaping it because that's what you got to do. But um, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I I so much prefer to just be my voice and like go deep into uh, what needs to come out versus what, how it needs to be seen. I think it also attracts a very specific audience of people that, generally speaking, want to learn and want to grow and want to have like depth of a understanding of something versus the quick hits of a social media or something like that. And so I always think a lot about that. I would I would say like generally speaking, like people probably listening to the show are probably pretty educated. They're probably pretty smart. They probably are very curious people and they want to learn a lot about a topic, which is why you go to podcasting, right? If you're just looking for entertainment, you're probably not necessarily on a podcast. Hmm. So Interesting. Yeah, you're right. It, it does lead to the more inquiring mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Let's jump in then. Um, so 
I'm, as you know, type one diabetic, so I, I'm, I'm pretty well versed with uh, what leads to my blood sugars skyrocketing. What I find fascinating, and a lot of people that don't have diabetes don't always know this, is that high intensity training will often make my sugars go up. And it's, I, I'm, from my educated guess, I would say that that's because it's a fight or flight response to a stressful experience. And so my body's releasing sugars to run away. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because sometimes it doesn't. I burn through 100 units, which is 100 points, which is what I expect. Hmm. After a workout, I expect to go from 200 back down to 100, which is where I should be. And, but sometimes I finish my workout and I'm at 260. And, and I, I've gone up after an hour of hard training. Right. Uh, so that's always interesting to me. I would venture to say that has something to do with the food that I ate prior and maybe it's still digesting and I was unaware of it, but more often than not, I'm having pretty much the same breakfast, you know, a nice smoothie and then, and it's a low glycemic smoothie with water and, and just uh, berries, which are low glycemic. And then I go to the gym and I work out, but I find that, um, the days that I push harder, my sugars go up. Yeah, I would say I'm sure it's just a response from your body of like we have a lot more energy. We need the expenditure here. And so it's finding glucose to basi basically push into your system to have as a source of energy for this intense workload that you're doing. Yeah. Because you probably have a reverse response from more of a low aerobic exercise, correct? Right. If I sit on the recumbent bike, it has the backrest, right? right. And I just relax, not relax, but I'm like pushing, but not high intensity burpees <laughs> right, right? Um, and I do that for 30 minutes my sugars will come down beautifully what happens post that uh high intensity workout though in terms of like let's say maybe an hour after that yeah does it go dramatically lower then good question it does keep burning after right and that's the thing to be careful of Right. As a diabetic is uh, that it will keep my sugars will keep burning at a higher rate for the rest of the day than if I didn't have that workout for sure. And that goes hand in hand with, I feel like, everything I've learned. So anybody listening to the show, I have a, I used to be exercise science degree, personal trainer, all that stuff. And like that goes hand in hand of a lot of what I've just learned in general about um, aerobic exercises as a whole is that high intensity sprint style workouts. Yeah, you're going to have a huge spike in uh, heart rate and glucose and all those things but then like the afterburn effect of all those things is like your metabolism is going to be a lot more ramped up for the rest of the day you're going to be using those glucose or car carbohydrates a lot better throughout the course of the day and so like that's always the confusing thing i think for a lot of people is that like they think doing more the slow steady state aerobic stuff is a better solution but they're forgetting the fact that like doing a high intensity over the course of an entire 24-hour day actually might be better. Mm. So Yeah, there's definitely, I can. I need less insulin the rest of the day, for right. sure. Right. Yeah, I'm burning through sugars. Right, which makes a ton of sense. Because even from a muscle-building standpoint, which is another amazing way to handle a lot of the glucose in your body, is that doing a high-intensity workout, again, is actually a better way to essentially build muscle. Like, it just challenges the muscles a lot more and requires them to build bigger and stronger versus doing a slow, steady state as you know, isn't all that wonderful for building muscle, so. Mm, okay. So there's something to do with the cardiovascular part where there's high intensity, because that's where it's intense for me is the cardiovascular part, because mm -hmm. you're, right? Yep. So incorporating the cardiovascular with the weight lifting, essentially, 
is what creates actually stronger muscles overall? 100%. Really? Yeah. Cool. If you if you dig into a lot of the research on this stuff, yeah, interval over the long course is like when you look at a short little snapshot of what's going on with like a steady state versus a hit, yeah, it might be a little confusing, but when you look at it in actually 24 or 48 hour window, yeah, high intensity training. I mean, it's it's the classic like just understanding who we are as humans of that we're really good at sprints. We're horrible at like um long distance or extended periods of time. Like take stress, for example. Like stress is the perfect example of this. Is like we do really well with like a short interval sprint or a really stressful situation. Like we can deal with it, we can handle it. But if you have chronic stress over weeks or months or years even, it's horrible for us. It's super degrading for us, right? Like we were essentially bred for sprint, rest, sprint, rest. And that's true for all endeavors, whether that's like actually working, like working on your job, like work in sprints, or that's physical endeavors of like sprint and then chill for a while, right? We're, we're sort of like lions. Like we want to sprint after whatever we're going after, both physically and mentally, and then we're going to chill the rest of the time. Like, Recover. Yes. Right. Exactly. You're reminding me of this study. Uh, it's a little off the exercise topic, but it's an interesting one um, where they took mice, poor little mice. They <laughs> shocked them every day at the same time for the same duration in one group. And they saw elevated cortisol levels after the shock, but then the cortisol levels will come right back down right after because they knew when it was coming and how long it would last. And after time, it didn't spike as much. The, the, the shock didn't have that much of an effect, but you know there was an effect, but they brought themselves back down to baseline very quickly. Another group, they shocked them at different times for different durations. So they didn't know when it was coming and how long it was gonna last. And what happened was those mice had elevated cortisol levels throughout the day, because mm. they knew at some point it's coming, mm -hmm. right? And so that led to higher inflammation, you know, higher disease rates, and I find this fascinating. They correlated it to the human experience in childhood. If you have, you know, like these experiences are rare and it's very quick, a burst of stress versus uh, a parent that may be abusive or, um, you know, not so emotionally stable and you don't know when the shock is going to come or how long it's going to last those children are much higher levels on the cortisol, end up with higher levels of inflammation and um, not surprising diabetes. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, yeah, I, I, it makes sense though because like humans hate ambiguity of like not really knowing what's going to happen. Like we hate that as humans. Humans mm -hmm. love binary. Like yes, no, right, wrong, good, bad. Like we love that stuff, but unfortunately like we don't live in a binary world in most things. Um, but yeah, I could see how just like the constant stressor of not really knowing when that's going to happen could definitely cause that. I mean, it's the same thing as like the latest trend in love of everybody of saunas and cold plunge, right? Mm. Is like, those are wonderful because they're acute stressors, but like you wouldn't do that all day, right? Like if you sat in a tub all day or you sat in a sauna all day, that is no longer healthy, right? That's a, that's a chronic stressor, <laughs> right? Right, And yeah. so it's, that's always the case for humans, like I said, for almost all endeavors is like we do wonderful for acute stressors because it challenges you just enough to maybe help you grow a little bit or help you achieve that next PR or whatever it is. Um, but the chronic stressors, like if you were to weight train all day, 
horrible, right? Like, mm, yeah. So, on that note, uh, for those listening, please make sure that you honor yourself in those high intensity classes. And if you need to modify, modify. You know, if you're feeling dizzy, oh yeah, <laughs> get yourself to the floor, check your sugars. Yeah, um, I've definitely have to check my sugars before, during, and after those types of works out workouts. I keep my phone near me, so I'm checking. Um, really important as a diabetic. Yeah. Because you can't tell sometimes the sensation of dropping low can be similar to um, like getting on stage and that sensation of sinking. And so it could also be the same as doing burpees. Mm. And you can kind of confuse the two of like, am I just dizzy because I'm jumping up and down or am I sugar, are my sugars low? So it's, it's actually very important to keep track. So I'm not a type 1 diabetic, but my dad is a type 2 diabetic. But I have a question for you. Tell me. Do you, can you feel the difference in those sensations from a low blood sugar to just being exhausted? Yeah, there's a, there's a marked difference. Um, you know when your blood sugars are low. There are sometimes when I don't, when it's like I'm not so sure and I have to check. But most often when you go low, it's a state of emergency in your body and you feel it. You're, you're literally trembling. Like there's a sensation of like, I'm not okay. I need sugar now. That's the warning sign, trembling. Are there any other warning signs? Uh, the heart pounding. So often this happens in the middle of the night because you'll, if you have dinner and you've accounted for dinner and you thought maybe you didn't account enough, um, so you take extra insulin, but the insulin in the evening takes three to four hours to hit because your metabolism slows down. So it may be that you actually, it, it just the first dose that you took didn't hit yet. Mm. So you'll take extra often, and then in the middle of the night, you'll crash. And what happens is your heart starts pounding to get enough um, sugars circulating to your brain, right? So that it raises the heat level in your body, and you like wake up exploding from heat, if anything. So like heart palpations. Yeah, well, your heart just is like going faster to try and keep your brain going. Okay, so I've had this experience when I did the ketogenic diet for a while, Ooh. which now makes sense, right? A lack of glucose yeah. probably going to my brain. Yeah. That was actually one of my biggest issues when I did the ketogenic for a while. And I realized the biggest proponent of it was like not having enough sodium because like when you strip all the carbohydrates out of your diet, um, that's a huge part of what actually retains water in your body or the carbohydrates in your blood and in your, uh, in your muscles. And so when you take that out of your body, your body can't retain water as well. Mm. And so not having enough water and being, I guess, essentially dehydrated makes it a lot, you have to work a lot harder essentially to be able to pump blood throughout your body. And so like people on a ketogenic diet have to have like extra, extra, extra magnesium and sodium to make up for the fact that they don't have carbohydrates in their diet. And that was definitely a sensation that I had a number of times before I learned that was that, uh, or excuse me, I think it's potassium, not magnesium. But, uh, but like that was a huge issue that I had was that I would have heart palpations. Mm -hmm. Like I would even throughout the day, like I would notice I could feel my heartbeat like out of my chest wow. and it's super uncomfortable, which I'm sure it is for you as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if your sugars go really low, you're on the floor in the kitchen, dripping sweat, searching for sugar. I mean, it, it gets intense. You sound like you've been there. <laughs> <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's real. When it gets low, it's real. It's, it's, and I've learned to handle it with grace. I'm just like, okay, I need a little sugar now. Do you, you have know? a dog? Get, <laughs> do you have a dog? No, uh, I, don't, I, haven't, I don't have a trained dog, but it, it's fascinating that dogs can wake yeah. you up and know. It's brilliant. I it's love it. Incredible. Um, 
Yeah, I uh, for the keto real quick. I, I do want to tap on this um, that from the research I've done, keto actually leads to higher insulin resistance. So there are two theories I've heard of. One is that fat is a much more efficient fuel source, nine times more efficient than carbohydrates. So uh, the cells will naturally soak in the fat and the glucose. It'll basically the cells will be like, we've got a full tank, we're good, we're gonna close the doors and then the glucose stays in your bloodstream. That's one theory. The other theory is that the fat coats the cells and actually blocks the insulin receptors for where the sugar can get in. Either one, high fat diet leads to insulin resistance. Mm. And so um, a big part of being successful short term with keto, I don't recommend it for long term, but short term would be intermittent fasting. So you're burning through all of that fat. You're really giving your body a chance to use all the fuel overnight at least. And so that you do need some carbohydrate. You need berries. They're full of antioxidants. You need yams. You need like sweet potatoes. They have beta carotene comes in things that are orange, like carrots. They're high in sugar. Uh, higher, not like a muffin, right, but right. relative to fruits and vegetables. Um, so you need these things in your diet. And so I think long-term keto is actually quite destructive. I think it is supportive to get you off of some, uh, maybe processed foods mm. Or, you know, but I, um, you have to do it correctly. I think intermittent fasting is essential in that. I la yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting and important point for a lot of people, right? Because it's definitely one of those trendy things that sounds appealing. And from the outside looking in, it's like, yeah, I just don't eat carbohydrates, so that's not an issue right. anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we're not as simple as that, unfortunately. But, yeah, I, I can definitely resonate with a lot of that stuff, too. And, and you're spot on with how... Fats is for sure a lot higher source of energy. Yeah. I mean, even just the basic science behind it of like, yeah, you break down a fat cell, you're going to get way more ATP than you would from a glucose right. um, or a sugar for that matter. But yeah, I, I purely did it just to see how it felt. And I will say like from a mental clarity, it was profound mm -hmm. of like how clear my thinking was. And I think part of it was because my sugar levels were so dialed in, I guess you could say, yeah. like literally never fluctuated right. for that matter. Cause there was really no carbohydrates coming into the diet. So that piece of it was nice, but like, honestly, from a general performance from somebody who likes to exercise and weight train and do hit training, yeah. terrible. Like I had no energy. Really? None. Ooh, tell me more. Yeah. It was <laughs> like collecting evidence against keto. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, keto people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh and it makes sense. I've talked to a lot of other like athletes about it as well, is that you need sugar for an explosive source of energy. Uh yeah, it's faster burning. hundred percent. Yeah. So when you're purely running on fat, it's just not great for things like weight training or jumping on a box or doing a hard sprint or whatever it is. However, though, there is something to be said though about like more endurance style athletes. I've talked to some endurance style athletes that talk more how it is actually more conducive for something like that, right? It's because like you're not sprinting, you're trying to run 100 miles, mm -hmm. right? Or whatever it is, which yeah. is like for yeah. a long-term duration, fat is an incredible source of energy. There's yeah. a reason yeah, yeah. long distance runners are so skinny. They have no fat because they've burnt it all because they're <laughs> running so much, right? So right. the if you had a lot of sugars in your diet, processed, refined sugars I'm ref referring to, then yes, it could lead to brain fog. So doing a keto diet and cleaning all that out will have remarkable results on your clarity. Yeah. For sure. 
100%. Uh, I like to look at it this way. If you had two bowls, one is full of the highest quality fat you can get, like Dave Asprey's C8 whatever, right? Just a <laughs> bowl of it, right? Yeah. And then the other bowl is full of colorful uh, berries, organic, fresh, raw, ripe berries. If you looked at those two bowls, which one looks more nutritious? Berries. Right. Because we're not just eating for protein, fat, and carbs. We're eating for tens of thousands of phytonutrients that support our brain health, our cell functions, our detoxification channels. Like, right? So we're not just looking for fuel. There, there's, there's compounds in, in these fruits and vegetables that we need. Totally. A thousand percent agree. I, I've competed in a couple of physique shows where <laughs> like the diet is broccoli, rice, and chicken. Oh. <laughs> right? Like that's a pretty stand or sweet potatoes, I guess, yeah, for that matter. Yeah. And it's like, how much nutrients are in any of those ingredients, if any? Hmm. Right. Um, so yes. Well, in the broccoli and the sweet potato, I'd be, I'd be sure. I sure. give those credit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just a, it's generally speaking a very bland diet, right? It's a, yeah. it's a lot of it's limited for sure. Ground Turkey and tilapia and, uh, maybe some asparagus. I don't know. Wow. But so yeah, there's not a lot of nutrients in it. And so anybody who's into like the bodybuilding type world, I tell people time and time again, cause people ask me about it obviously. And it's like, yeah, it's a great, uh, endeavor. It's, it's a fun challenge, but by no means compare it to a healthy lifestyle yeah. in any way, shape or form. I think a lot of people get that twisted. It's like, look how fit you look. It's like, yeah, but Am I healthy? Right. Which is a whole nother conversation. Right. Which I honestly like, that's a, been a really big thing for me over the last like maybe two, three years is just understanding that fitness in general isn't necessarily healthy. Like I honestly have like pulled back from a lot of that of like going to other fitness conferences and just being very involved in that world of health and fitness and wellness and just like really discovering how fitness and health are not congruent always. Right. I think we like to put those into the same sentence, but it's not necessarily the case. Right. The harder you might go into fitness, I think actually the farther you get away from health in a lot of in a lot of ways. Interesting. Tell me how. Like if when you look at endurance athletes or Ironman athletes or um, really high level athletes of any form for that matter is like they're fit as hell. But I would argue if they're actually healthy. Mm. Right, because you're pushing yourself again to that limit where your body can't really recover from a lot of it. Right, is like the guy. I'm sure you've probably heard of him, the Iron Man cowboy. Have you heard of this guy? Yeah. Like doing that's an incredible physical fitness endeavor to do 50 Ironmans in 50 days. Right. What? But like, what is healthy about that? Right. No, you're breaking your body. Right. After one 50. Right. Oof. Wow. Yeah. It's cool. I think it's fun to have those endeavors, but I just, I want people to know, like, those aren't the same thing. Yeah. Right? Let's go back to the more sedentary, <laughs> <laughs> your average, sure. right, individual. How do you get them off the couch? Like, what's some of the motivating drivers that support your clients back in the day? Wow. What a freaking great question. Um... You have to enjoy it. And that might be a contrarian thing for a lot of people is that I think the most important thing to know from the get-go is that we change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad. And what I mean by that is I think that we often 
punish ourselves for not doing the things that we want to do, which is actually the worst thing you could do. What a better approach to do is to reward yourself for the smallest possible thing that you can think of, right? Like if your goal, let's say, was to start walking, reward yourself for putting on walking shoes. Not for going on the walk necessarily or not even for necessarily how far you walk. But did you put on walking shoes that day? And celebrate that, right? Because it creates a snowball effect that allows you to continue to build upon that. I think so often we have these goals and it's great, right? Like have a goal, have a thing you want to achieve, but celebrate the micro wins. Mm. Like one of the ways that I got myself to start flossing is I would floss one tooth a day. <laughs> Baby steps. That was it. <laughs> really? One, one tooth a day. Like that's how I got started. Wow. And it's because what happens in your brain psychology wise is like it's a dopamine hit when I go, Hell yeah, I flossed one tooth today. And maybe I do more. Maybe right. I do two and three, but that's all just bonus at that point. Right. Right. So the point is, is like you have to have the goal so micro and so tiny that you guarantee yourself a win because we change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad. And so you have to create these micro wins. And so it's like do one push up, celebrate it. Be like, hell yeah, I did a push up, right? And then build upon that. And if you do more, then you just feel even better because it's all just bonuses, right? right. And so I think that's one avenue of it is like having something that's so micro that you can guarantee yourself a win. And I think the other part about it, which is something that I'm obsessed with, is like your environment. Is like having just the things you want to do so simple in front of you that you are almost guaranteed to take action on it. And the things you don't want to do are so hard or there's such a big barrier that you're almost guaranteed not to do it, right? Basic examples are is like, if you don't want to eat certain foods, don't have them in the house. Very simple example. It, yeah, that is such an important point. It's so much easier to resist something at the grocery store than once it's in your fridge. 100%. You can't. Right. If it's in your fridge, you're going to eat it. 100%. So you got to say no at the grocery store. Exactly. Huge trick. Go ahead. Um, and then on the flip side of that is making the things you want to do very obvious and very simple to do, right? So like, again, if the example was you want to go on a brisk walk to help with blood sugar levels, then you should probably have your shoes like right next to your bed when you get out of the morning, like open, ready for your feet to freaking slip into them, right? Like that would be the most simple, easy, streamlined way to just like get into your shoes first thing in the morning. You don't have to think about it. There's no willpower. They're already sitting right there, right? Obviously, this would take a little planning the day before, right? Put them out, open them up, untie the laces, whatever. And uh, But that's that's the point, right? Is like make the things you want to do insanely simple and the things you don't want to do very hard or put a big resistance behind it. Love that. Yeah, one trick is to put the clothes out with your shoes maybe, right? Or, or put them in your bag so if you're going to after work, your gym clothes is already there. You're ready to go. You don't have to go home first. <laughs> yeah. That's always dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. How can you make it easier? Uh, and, and, you know, walking is uh, an important point here because um, actually before I get there, I want to uh, tap on this concept that you mentioned is, is moving away. What are you motivated by? Right. Moving away from something or towards something. And towards it, you're being pulled it's it's a much nicer sensation first of all and uh yeah it's much more pleasurable you'll enjoy it you want to move towards a goal not away from something you don't want totally it's a better driver totally uh so back to the walking um i find that if i i get as much walking in as i can um most importantly is the evening one the sunset stroll uh, preferably 
either actually before or after dinner work fantastic. Before will rev up your metabolism to prepare for dinner. After will burn off the excess sugars that you didn't need from dinner. Mm. So either one of those are supportive, uh, but it will support in, in getting your metabolism going again, and then you don't need as much insulin. And you can burn through the sugars. It's also, also a beautiful way to calm the rest of your day, get whatever happened during the day out in nature. Uh, it just it's a way to calm your nervous system so that you're actually not turning to food to numb out and to feel better. I like that you call it a sunset walk. So do you did you coin that or is there also a sunrise walk and a midday walk? So the sunrise uh, there is actually. <laughs> How do you know? Uh, so the sunrise walk apparently is incredibly powerful for um, if you actually stare at the sun, you can get a lot of energy through your eyes when the sun is very low like that, so it's not um, overwhelming for your retina, but it actually will give you energy. It's a beautiful way to start your day, and it also sets the tone for um, the amount of melatonin that will be produced before you go to bed, interestingly enough, that you actually start in the morning preparing for your sleep. And these these morning habits actually have a really big impact on how deep you sleep. Mm. So getting out in the morning in nature again, watching the sunrise is an incredibly potent way to start your day. Also setting your intention in that time. What can you be grateful for? How do you want to show up today? What might be something that trips you up and how do you want to handle it? Like doing this work in the morning and giving yourself that juicy time before you turn your phone on, key, before you let the whole world in. Everyone else's problems become yours really center yourself and and decide how you want to show up that day and what's important to you and what could be, you be grateful for because you'll attract more of that mm. uh, yeah and then the midday walks is um right after lunch if you can do a couple of laps around your building or your anything around the neighborhood even 15 20 minutes make a world of difference your whole body for the record, that's why I didn't respond to you this morning, is I was doing my morning. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't check my phone. Got I, it. I don't do any of I that. I thought you forgot about me. No. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was getting my sunshine. I was uh, journaling. I was meditating. And then by that, by the time I was supposed to be here, I had left right away. Yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't ignoring you. Okay. But I was just not letting the world in yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's very wise. I'm telling you guys, if you can do this in the mornings, it's, yeah. it's, even if it's five minutes... Just give yourself five juicy minutes. The, the morning is the most peaceful time of the day. Do not give that away. Yeah. I want to double down on what you were saying about, like, catching that sun first thing in the morning, too. Because, like, I think it's really interesting. Have you heard about the guy who lived underground for, like, three months? No. Yeah, it was a guy. It was a scientist, obviously, some dork. He was uh, he was down doing some. <laughs> For all the scientists out there, you're not a dork. <laughs> well, I can say because I am a scientist, right? I went to school for science. Um, so, but he uh, he decided to spend. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was three months, ninety days. I'm pretty sure it was underground, no sunlight, no sunshine, nothing, and he just wanted to see what the human was like, essentially without any, without knowing when the sun up was up and when the sun was down and like how that would affect everything. Right. Like wow. how often he was awake, how often he slept, all those things. And honestly, the thing that was most fascinating about the study and the way that they were able to track it is that he, he had some sort of communication device to like 
people outside of being underground where he could tell them when he woke up and when he went to bed, right? And, okay. the, rest, and the rest of the time, he just did whatever the hell he wanted, frankly, and he had enough food and everything, whatever. And, uh, and what they found, though, which I found so fascinating, was that regardless of the fact of, like, even though he didn't have um, sunshine or sunrise or sunset or any of those things, and I'm not taking away from any of those things, but regardless of that, even though he didn't have those things, he still consistently had a 24-hour cycle mm. of everything that he did. And what I found so interesting about that was basically they started diving into, like, that's really interesting, that even without the sunrise or the sunset, he still worked in 24-hour cycles, right? And what they were finding is, is that to literally, literally, to our cellular level, everything works in 24-hour cycles or circadian rhythms, right? And so, like, you can do yourself a huge benefit, literally to your cellular level, by just like cueing your 24 hours or your natural circadian rhythm by catching a sunrise first thing in the morning or catching a sunset later in the evening, right? Is like you're literally sending signals to your cells, to every part of your body of like, we're in rhythm here. Like this is the cycle of how we work every day, day in and day out, and especially for people who travel a lot, right? Is like where you're switching, where that cycle normally lands and falls based on sunrise and sunsets. If you go somewhere east or west coast or whatever it is of still catching that sunrise and sunset and how beneficial that can be literally to your cellular level. Mm. I just think that's just really important. So Love that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So we've got walks. We've got high intensity. Um, what are some other exercises? Or weight, you know, okay, I would like to go to weightlifting because I have noticed that when my, my muscles are stronger, I burn sugars just walking around. No question. Yeah. Um, are there specific techniques? I find myself going to ass and abs. <laughs> Sometimes shoulders. <laughs> That's my workout. <laughs> Did you coin that? or is this Ass and abs. No, you really? You never well, I'm, I'm just thinking like that sounds like a program you're doing or something. No, know. my trainer would always make fun of me. He's like, so what's for today? Ass and abs? I'm like, pretty much. But... <laughs> Hey, man, if it makes you happy, I mean, whatever. No, okay, um, okay but expand, please. Are, are there any specific, like, lunges or squats or, like, are there things that people should have in their routine more often? Compound, if I had to put it into one word. Okay, what does that mean? Just, like, compound lifts. Um, the biggest, quote-unquote, muscle building, and I want to preface this, especially to, like, any of the females out there who always are, like, concerned about building muscle, getting bulky, whatever, which, let me preface this by saying I've been weight training for, I don't know, 15, maybe 16 years now at this point, and if you knew how hard it was to build muscle, like, I've been consistently weight training for over well over a decade, and it is incredibly hard to build muscle. So do not be concerned about looking bulky. Like, you've, if you have any idea how hard I work to look this average, it's ridiculous. Ah. And so, like, <laughs> it's not a concern. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but the only reason I bring that up is because, like, when I say compound, I'm talking about things like squats or deadlifts or uh, pull-ups or whatever. You're basically your large muscle exercises. Those have been proven time and, ten, time, and time again, like, forever that they are the greatest things for actually building good, healthy muscle onto your body in the shortest amount of time um, without having to do a ton of extra ex auxiliary work of like curls and tricep 
and whatever, name your thing, um, which are all fine. But like really at the end of the day, like if the pure goal was just muscle building to help with some of the glucose stuff, compound lifts, like you could literally get away with doing five exercises a week and cover 90% of what you're hoping to accomplish. Really? Right. Like it could literally be squats, pull-ups, deadlifts, overhead press, and maybe a barbell row or a bench press. And like with just those exercises, you could basically cover 90% of what you're hoping to accomplish. If you just got good at just those things, literally just those things, you would accomplish most of what you're trying to get. So Interesting. Are you a three-set, like 10 reps kind of guy? For the most part, yeah. I mean, and that's both physically and psychologically. I think that's the most comfortable for most people. So it's okay. most something they're most likely to stick to. If you want to get really nerdy on it, like there's a lot of stuff about how you could do single sets to failure. Yeah. Or you could do like, um, what are they called? Slow negatives. Like there's a lot of protocols out there now where basically you go one set and then the last set you do forced reps. Um, so there's stuff out there like that. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, I think most of that classic stuff that you've heard from forever is pretty tried and true because it's like, one, it's it's less mentally painful Mm. right like doing a single set to failure is super uncomfortable it hurts like sink in and suffer because this is gonna suck for a while it sucks and it works so when i did this at university of florida but i agree with you i would i'd much prefer the other option but when i was at university of florida back in the day um they were trying out this they were researching essentially this one set to failure and so you basically the concept is you raise the weight until you cannot push, like if you're doing leg extensions, you cannot do a single another leg extension between eight and 12 reps. Mm-hmm. You have to fail at eight, between eight and 12. If you can go to 13, you're up in the weight. Yep. And I went from leg extensions of 90 to 200 Jeez. in a month. Oh my gosh. In a month. That's impressive. Yeah. Had, had you been training prior to that though? I've always trained. Okay. So, wow. So even having already passed like the newbie stage or beginner game oh, stage. Oh yeah, I wasn't a newbie. Wow. That's really impressive actually. <laughs> yeah. No, it works. Um, but I mean like it, it almost breaks you. Oh uh, yeah. Mentally it's horrible. <laughs> sure. It's, it's agony. But then, so you had to uh, get to the failure and then they held, you had to hold the position. So full leg extension for 10 seconds. Mm. Then 10 seconds down, negative, right? Mm-hmm. And then you had to try and pump out three quick ones. Like, <laughs> it burned you till the end. So every once in a while, I'll do that. I'll just incorporate it in. Or now my new favorite is, um, I'm blanking on the term, but it's uh, stagnant. What's the word when you... Isometric? Isometric, thank you. Sure. When you just hold, isometric holds. Yeah. So leg extension, using one leg and hold it there for 10 seconds. And then hold the other one and then keep going back and forth in these holds and then do pumps. <laughs> oh my God. Really, you can't walk for like three days. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm I glad love you, it. I know, I was going to say, I'm glad that you said it's your favorite. I, I like to be sore after a workout. Otherwise, I feel like I didn't really do much. Most people do. I like that sensation. Sure. Those don't go hand in hand for the record, but most people do feel that way. Why? Tell me why. Being sore isn't always a sign of a good workout or okay. actually building muscle. Okay, tell me why. Um, because oftentimes, 
like, let's say, for example, you never worked out ever in your life. You went to the gym and you just hammered a leg day, right? Like squats, lunges, kickbacks, all the things. You literally did all the things. And for the next probably week, you're going to be miserable, like how sore you are, right? Like it's the classic, you can't get off the toilet. Right? Everyone, right. everyone has been there. Um, yeah, yelping like a puppy. 100, 100%. 100%. <laughs> but here's the problem. You actually probably at this point broke down the muscles so far that they can't even actually come back stronger. They're just repairing themselves to get back to where you started in the first place. Oh, So you actually don't even get stronger after doing something like that. Really? Yes. So. Oh, this is such good news. Yeah. <laughs> and so like having a little soreness is fine. And honestly, at the end of the day, from like a scientific level, it's just basically, it's just um, lactic acid in the muscle, right? Like that's what soreness is. Yeah. But it's never a conduit for actually building muscle. Like some of the strongest people in the world that I know, they do a lot of like powerlifting style. And they're rarely, honestly, almost ever sore. But they're strong as hell and they're building a lot of muscle because they're really stimulating their central nervous system to build on more muscle, to lift heavier and heavier weights. But they're not doing what's like what would be considered like hypertrophy of like breaking down the muscle tissue, which is a lot of where soreness comes from. Is like when you break down the muscle tissue, you have lactic acid that comes in there and that's the soreness a lot of what you feel. Powerlifters don't really get that because like they're not breaking down their muscle per se. They're more training a nervous system. Mm. So like being sore, it's, yeah, it feels good. It feels like you accomplished something, but like it's not necessarily a straight conduit of like actually building muscle. Interesting. So. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. A little soreness. Right. It's just normal. Totally. Okay. Totally. But like, yeah, if you're struggling to get off the toilet, <laughs> you probably overdid it. <laughs> Yeah, I've been there a couple times. I think everyone has. <laughs> if you if you've never been to the gym and you go to the first time, like think about the first times you started working out, weight training specifically, yeah. right? Like the first time you started weight training, how obnoxiously sore you were. I can remember my pec muscles. I'm a typical dude, right? So like you said, what'd you say? Butt and ass and abs. Ass and abs. Like I feel like for a guy, it's like chest and biceps. Right. Like that's the classic. Right. I remember when I first started training, I think I was like 17 at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was like bench pressing curls. And I remember like, I couldn't even pick up something in front of me. <laughs> like I like going to the grocery store. I like couldn't even like pick up the groceries cause my chest and triceps oh. were just fried. But that's funny, which wasn't good looking back at it, but whatever we learn. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> it's cute. Uh, okay. So anything we're missing? I feel like we've covered a lot. No. Um, Burning sugars, working out. So I, I do like to do, so when I do a high intensity train out, training, I like to follow it up with a lower intensity bike ride or walk home or something 20 to 30 minutes to kind of burn through the sugars if I, if I do notice that my sugars are high after a high intensity. That's one point I'll make. Um, I love the walking. The more walking, the better. Uh, you'll feel better physically. You're, you emotionally will handle your stress of the day better. You burn through the sugars. It's just, it's an incredibly important, you'll be leaner all around. The more walking you do, the better. And it seems so it's easy and it's delightful. Mm. I mean, to be out in nature, watching the sunrise or sunset is delightful Mm -hmm. to take a break mid part of your day and go for forced to go for a walk outside, even if it's forced. 
for 20 minutes will change the rest of your day. You won't come come back to the office and need a, to nap at three o'clock. <laughs> it does. It reinvigorates your whole system. Totally. So get walking in. Um, oh, question for you. Um, so a lot of people do this um, intermittent fasting, and then they like to go to the gym on an empty stomach. I've heard this is great for men and destructive for women hormonal, hormonally. Is that true? What do you recommend? Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, done a bit of digging into this as well. And yeah, you pretty much nailed the punchline there. I personally do a lot of it. Purely, I would say selfishly, the reason that I do it, honestly, is because of like the mental clarity that I experience. Kind of like the keto thing is like I enjoy the mental. Like I'm fasted right now. I probably won't eat till noon today. But I just enjoy that mental clarity of like how I feel being fasted. Yeah, unfortunately for females and menstrual cycles and how your guys' hormones are always fluctuating. Yeah, it's not. It's <laughs> not so fun. <laughs> it's not as conducive. Well, it's actually funny because I was actually just talking to a couple of girls here in town about it. And she literally pulled out her app. I think it's called Flow. Nice. And, and uh, of course. Yeah. And we, we just got deep into the rabbit hole of. Yeah, menstrual cycles and how that affects things and how there's different stages. And there's like, I think she was saying there's like four, I think there's four stages. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. Ovulation so I did, yeah, so I did. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember some of this. Uh, but anyways, to the original question about the intermittent fasting stuff. Yeah, the the females have it a little bit more challenging of like, yeah, you start getting over like 12 hours of fasting for females. In most cases, like, yeah, things can get a little bit tricky. Um, it's, it's not that you can't do it, but it's definitely not as simple or conducive as a male. So for any of the females out there, definitely, uh, make sure you know what you're doing if you're going to be doing some of the intermittent fasting stuff, especially as somebody with a, who's a diabetic, like no yeah. question. Yeah. But yeah, guys have it a little easier, which is true for most. Always. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> so. Uh, okay. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think so. I think like really just the main message I'd love people to know is like finding something like I was saying earlier, that's conducive to you and something that you enjoy. Cause like we're always our worst self-critic. We always like to slam ourselves when we don't do something. But the unfortunate thing about that, or even maybe the good thing about that is like recognizing that that's not a great way to approach good habit and behavior change. Like the best way, if you really want to make changes and, Start doing the things that you say you want to do. It's like create wins, have victories, celebrate, like do the things you enjoy, and then you're probably going to continue to do it. Um, mm, I love ending on this note. Do the things that bring you joy. Dancing is a form of exercise. Like dance, put your headsets on mm-hmm. in the middle of in, in your house, or you can be outside if you want. I walk, I dance when I walk now on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one of those people. Yes. <laughs> Because you know what? It brings joy to everyone else. And I'm jamming out. I'm burning extra calories for sure. Because I'm doing my little like jiggle while I'm walking. <laughs> Love that. Uh, it just lights your whole world up. It changes everything. Yeah. So, yeah swimming, going Barton Springs pools, getting natural pools. Like find things that you love to do. Yoga, dance classes. Like it doesn't have to be golf sports. I mean, like it can be a whole variety of different things. It doesn't have to be weightlifting at the gym. I literally saw a girl yesterday. I work out at Auditorium Shores all the time, and I saw a girl there with her dog, with her big headphones on. Just dancing her ass off, like throwing this ball with her dog, just like having a great time. Yeah. Just with her dog. Yeah. 
That's a perfect way. It's a great way to practice not caring about what other people think, too. <sighs> totally. Because who cares? Totally. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I care a lot. That's why it's good for it. like good for me to do that. Is, yeah. is actually out of character, but um, it's important. It's good. You got to test those edges. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness, Corey! Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, what a treat! You guys definitely check out his Health Hustle ATX podcast. I'm sure they can find that everywhere. Yep. Um, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in. Ah, love you all.